Welcome to the Soccer Metrics Podcast, a discussion and interview series with leading names in the soccer analytics world. Here's your host, the founder of Soccer Metrics, Howard Hamilton. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Soccer Metrics Podcast for the 10th of March, 2014. Soccer Metrics Podcast is an information interview series with leading figures from the soccer analytics world and occasional forays into the broader worlds of football business and sports analytics. In our previous episode, I talked to one of the presenters from the OptiPro Analytics Forum that was held in London in early February. In this episode, I talk with another presenter from that forum, Jonathan Gruel. Jonathan's career has spanned management consulting and data science, and at the Analytics Forum, he presented some very interesting work on player similarities in football. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Howard. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I really enjoy your blog, so it's a, uh, it's a great opportunity to be on your podcast as well. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you, Howard. As you mentioned, um, I do have some experience in consulting and data science as well as finance. And I've worked mostly on the quantitative analytics across all those um, sides. Um, I guess you could say I, I have been quantitatively inclined from an early age, if uh, perhaps not quantitatively gifted, but at least inclined. And I think a lot of that interest, uh, you know, really arose from my interest in sports, um, you know, reading uh, Bill James abstracts as a, as a, you know, when I was younger, uh, tinkering with uh, the quarterback rating formula and, uh, you know, things of that nature really got me interested in um, in the quantitative analysis in general. But um, I think when you look at uh, the developments over the last 10 to 20 years, um, it's really continued to spark my interest in quantitative analysis. You said that you came to um, appreciating mathematics and analytics through sports. Did you first start in this sport other than soccer? Um, you know, I, I think certainly. I mean, I think, you know, going back to young age, I mean, certainly just reading Bill James' abstracts was an eye-opener to how analytics could be applied to sports. Um, since then, I have, you know, done followed analysis across other sports, whether it's, you know, based on all the analytics that have gone on there, certainly the emerging basketball analytics scene, um, some of the NFL st um, sites like advanced NFL stats. And myself, I've done a little consulting work for um, different pro sports teams and even, you know, tied an example in my dissertation to a uh, to an MBA example. So, I, you know, I'm broadly interested in sports, but I think the, in sports analytics, but I think, uh, you know, the burgeoning area of soccer, I think the challenge as well as the fact that it is, you know, not a clean slate, but probably earlier stage than sports, um, than baseball or basketball make it very attractive. What was your dissertation about? I understand that you received a PhD in statistics from university of Washington. Um, it, and you mentioned it has sports components. So what was your dissertation about? My, my dissertation actually focused on multivariate Bayesian methods for primarily, um, with applications to cognitive testing data. So that, that part actually did not probably have 
for the most part, it didn't have much sports overlap. But for one method that I was working on um, in one of the final chapters of my dissertation, it looked at essentially um, something that was related to clustering, but whereas in clustering, you might belong solely to a cluster or not. It was kind of a, a partial clustering form where you could have membership or a portion you know, of you would be um, attributed to many different clusters. And so I apply that to basketball data to see if um, essentially you might have, instead of relying on uh, position de designations when looking at player stats, you could see if players might be reflective of many different styles. So um, it was very interesting to see what came out. You know, there were some cl classes or clusters that emerged that were very traditional, like a big man cluster and a and a point guard cluster. But there were some other non, you know, kind of traditional things, like there was kind of a defensive three-point shooting wing position. And it was, you know, interesting to see which players spanned those different clusters. And I'll give you a, an example of, like Mario Chalmers, for instance, was a player who, you know, you think of as a point guard, but he's considerably less ball dominating given, you know, he, that he's on a team with um, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, um, considerably less ball dominating than perhaps your um, typical point guard. And in addition, he has more of a kind of spot up shooting role than maybe a typical point guard does. And so, this was actually reflected in the data that he kind of had half membership in a three-point shooting kind of shooting guard type cluster and half membership in a traditional point guard cluster. So it was, you know, just an opportunity to break out from some of all the cognitive testing applications that I did, which were very interesting, but um, not the kind of thing I work on in my spare time. So I was, it was fun to, uh, you know, apply it to sports a little bit. That allows us to segue a little bit into the discussion of similarity scores. Absolutely. Um, I know that there are some parallels in some other sports. I know Bill James uh, first started with that. But um, why don't you talk a little bit more about similarity scores and your motivation for, um, for applying them to soccer? Absolutely. I think, you know, similarity scores are, are just, you know, very intuitive, just even from a fan level of just, you know, it's in any comparison that people make, they, they tend to like to frame it, you know, in um, comparables of, you know, other players or other teams. So for instance, you know, if we're, if we're talking about soccer and we're talking about um, Robin Van Persie, you know, you want to frame him not only in terms of current players, but of historic players. And I think that's, something that, you know, is common across sports and, you know, much like, um, or much like many, uh, sabermetric or sports analytic developments, um, you know, this idea can be traced back to Bill James and he had a method of, you know, wanted to compare players across eras and developed a system for doing this. Now, um, while that's, you know, very interesting, um, some people have gone, you know, beyond that and with, um, have used it in projections. And that's, you know, I think where it's shown itself to be pretty song, strong. So there's projection systems like Pacona, Pacoda in baseball and Shoney in basketball that, you know, rely on kind of the concept of finding um, very similar players, you know, currently or historically and use those to build future projections. So that's, um, you know, certainly a compelling case. I think in the, you know, case of soccer, what, which is what's so interesting is, you know, 
oftentimes due to the um, transfer market, um, you find teams having to replace players. And um, to the extent that they could identify stylistically or just production-wise similar players to do so, it's fun as a fun fan to imagine, you know, okay, who are the similar players to this? Who are potential transfer targets? You know, from the team side, it could be potentially interesting as well. But, of course, you know, they also have many scouts devoted to that as well. So we, <clears throat> um, I think that's where, you know, some of the interesting those are some of the historical applications, but also some of the interesting applications for soccer. What makes soccer challenging as far as developing similarity scores are concerned? I think a couple of things make um, soccer um, challenging. One is, you know, the summary statistics aren't, you know, they're just not necessarily as, well, they're perhaps intuitive, but they're perhaps not as well defined, or at least their correlation with match outcomes um, perhaps aren't as well defined as other sports. Would you would you say that there are a lot of neutral statistics in soccer compared to other sports? Um, very possibly. I, you know, I, I personally haven't done the you know analyses myself myself, but you know, for instance, you know, there's been plenty of discussion in soccer about you know what does pass pass completion percentage really mean? Um, you know, I saw a discussion on Twitter the other day, um, and it come up. You know, looking at um, tackles in the midfield for midfielders and this went back to Merrick's presentation and opta I think he had um, made a blog post with uh, looking at tackles for midfielders and there are some questions about well you know is tackles really an important stat it's something that we can define but does it correlate it all to winning or you know in a reduction of goals allowed and so I think that's part of what makes soccer challenging is there are some clear outcomes to track, but, you know, their relative importance and their, uh, you know, correlation or importance to match outcomes is perhaps um, less clear. And just to clarify, Merrick is Merrick Kvyatkovsky. He's a postdoc at University of Neuchâtel in Switzerland, and he presented some research on player similarities focusing on midfielders. Yes, uh, which is also very interesting work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought he did a great job in, in presenting the work. Um, we certainly had some overlap in our work, um, which is very interesting, but it wasn't, didn't completely overlap, so it made for interesting points of comparison. Also, I, I thought his visuals were wonderful. I was, upon seeing them, I was, was jealous of his visuals and wish I had incorporated them in my own presentation. So... Um, I think you you talked in your presentation about similarities of player outcomes against similarities from player approaches and actions, and there's some um, there's some tension between the two um, because a lot of people look at um, player similarities through player outcomes by computing you know passes in different areas of the field, tackles, and so forth. I think you felt that it was more important or equally important, if not more important, to look at the player approach and his actions on the pitch. Can you talk about um can you talk can you talk about the comparison and contrast between the two? Absolutely. I think, you know, summary statistics are very interesting, but in all sports really, but I think soccer in particular, um where they do what they do, the location of those events, the locations of their actions, 
is particularly important because it can be reflective of stylistic differences or what you know a coach has asked or manager has asked them to do in the past and perhaps is indicative of their abilities in different areas of the field. As a result, I wanted to capture that, the locations of the events, as well as the frequency of events in similarity scores. And so that, that was really the, you know, kind of the big step I tried to make with my, um, you know, opta work. I think it's important. You raised, you raised, uh, the very sharp point, um, post my presentation about pointing out that I think you had talked to some people um, on the basketball analytics side or the NBA side, and they made the point that, you know, that you can't really capture similarity until you can capture some sense of style, um, some sense of how they go about um, doing what they do on the court or on the field. Um, I think, you know, location is certainly not getting there a hundred percent of the way, but I think it gets, it starts to get there a little bit. And, you know, I think, um, and that's really what I was trying to do with this work was make a step forward in developing similarity scores is my, are my similarity scores, the final word, hardly, there's a lot more that can be incorporated. What can be incorporated? Well, I think, you know, just looking at um, some of the, you know, other work that was done at, um, at Opta, for instance, the, the first presentation, and I now cannot recall the presenter's name offhand, but looked at off-the-ball movement. That would be um, massive, I think, you know, in, in incorporating something like that. That's clearly, um, you know, would be a big distinguishing factor between players. I think some other things you know, that would be um, important to incorporate would be some sense of pace, um, some sense of usage relative to the team. I mean, obviously some teams are going to focus on possession and passing the ball, and that's going to inflate their passing, you know, numbers from a frequency standpoint. It would be, you know, interesting to understand a player's contribution relative to the other team. Um, you know, with regards to off the ball movement, defensive positioning would also be very, um, very important. And so I think a lot of these things are getting at, you know, some sense of, uh, greater context. I mean, obviously, you know, the actions or the locations reflect, um, to a degree what a player can do, but in the context of the team's overall tactics and, you know, that's not um, captured in the work that I've done. And so that, you know, that certainly poses lots of challenges going forward. But, you know, it makes it, it, makes it interesting. And again, you know, I think this is, you know, this is a first step um, incorporating locations into player similarity. But um, just given some of the things I just mentioned, there's still plenty of work to be done. One obvious metric for gauging similarity between players is a Euclidean metric where you look, you know, you look at XY coordinate system, it's just distance between points. You used a statistic that was, that was somewhat different or at least more generalized, the Kolmogorov smirnov statistic. Could you explain that statistic and talk about why you used that one as opposed to some others? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing was when it comes to locations, I didn't want to rely on some sort of summary statistic. I wanted to instead look at 
um, distributions of locations. So in other words, I didn't want to just take the player's average location and you know look at the Euclidean distance between that and another location. Instead, I want to look at the distribution of things. So it's it would be important that a player spent most of their time in midfield and perhaps a little bit of their time, um, you know, forward or back. Uh, and so the Kolmogorov-Smirnov statistic is one way to compare distributions. And, you know, without getting overly technical, basically it's looking for the maximum distance or discrepancy between um, two distributions. Um, I think it's most well known for its one-dimensional variant. I, I looked, I applied a two-dimensional version, um, which is uh, computationally feasible, but stands um, just from a nerdy statistics point on a little less firm ground theoretically. However, when I looked at, um, you know, when I looked at uh, the results, um, just looking at, you know, visuals of uh, events and looked at the measure of similarity between the visuals or the distributions of those events in the field, you could, I, I thought the uh, two-dimensional version was fairly discriminative um, in a reasonable manner. So I ended up using that. Um, but again, I think the key was try I was trying to use focus on the distributions of events. I want to know where they are with um, varying degrees um, you know, of frequency um, and capture that. You know, with regards to sh now the Coleman Kolmogorov-Smirnov statistic certainly isn't the only statistic that can compare two distributions, and um, there are others. However, it is one that is feasible for two dimensions, so that is one reason that I, I, I did um, pick that in particular. I think another, um, but there are some other statistics, you know, that do well at looking at the tails of the distribution, whereas the Kolmogorov-Smirnov statistic is really most effective at capturing um, you know, discrepancies kind of in the center of the distribution. I thought that was okay for field positions of locations of events, but for less frequent events or, you know, for particular types of events, you might be more interested in the tails. That might be true, but would you be interested in that for assessing player similarity? Because it seems to me that you're more interested in looking at how they're most likely able to perform or behave than how they perform at the extremes, because at the extremes, everyone can be brilliant and everyone can be horrible, I guess. But, um, you know, in the, I guess in the mean, there's some, I guess there's a mean tendency of players, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think in the case of the data that I looked at, yes, I think that is the case. If there was some, you know, other statistics that I didn't have, for example, say shot velocity and, you know, being able to hit, you know, kind of that upper 5% of shot velocities really mattered for whatever reason, then I might be interested in something that involved um, incorporating the tails. But I think you're exactly right. For the event location data that I was using, so in other words, where passes on the field happened, where tackles on the field happened where interceptions on the field happened i think you know central tendencies or the the center of the distribution it's uh i think that is what we want to capture in those cases did you weight the events i did i did weight the um events differently at least i weighted the locations of the events uh differently and that that was that was a challenge um you know cuz I, I didn't necessarily have a good sense um how to do that. You know, I could put, 
expert judgment, or in my case, non-expert, you know, judgment on it. Um, I think it would certainly be interesting uh, to get some sense from someone who's perhaps a little more, you know, a scout's take on what would be the relative weighting. But I, I ended up using a, a somewhat more programmatic approach uh, to weight the uh, to the different events when summing them up to include in a total similarity score. And we really didn't talk about which events you used. So why don't you discuss which events you used that made up the similarity score? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And thanks for uh, helping me backtrack a little bit. So some of the things that we used were we looked at um, past locations, sh- uh, tackle, uh, locations of tackles, locations of shots, locations of clearances, interceptions, aerial challenges, take-ons, um, Opta has a stat called ball recovery, looked at those. And then the one location thing that I didn't look at, but still looked at the kind of um, two-dimensional distribution of was of pass distances. And uh, that was very interesting as well. I mean, that helped in some cases distinguish, um, you know, midfielders from from a forwards or whatnot, just because you would see midfielders would tend to have a bit more um you know, and th- this is perhaps one case where, you know, the tails might be more interesting past distance. Um, you know, if you look at Gerard, for instance, he just has the ability to play some of those key through balls, um, which seem to set up Liverpool so well. However, you know, certainly the majority of his passes are not, you know, those those 60 yard through balls or clearances, which seem to find uh, the attacker in, in, in space and um put them with a great opportunity to convert. So that would be, that would be one example actually of a statistic that I considered where, you know, some of the tail events might be, might be interesting. All right. So let's talk about uh, some of the results from this analysis. Um, I guess, broadly speaking, what kind of results surprised you, did not surprise you? Were there results that you kind of expected as far as players who were similar to each other or players who were similar to groups of players? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I think positionally it did, it did, uh, the method did very well. Um, and you know, for, um, I know the, the presentation isn't online, but you know, if I look at some results, so if I look at Yaya Torre, some of the most similar players that came up for him were Aaron Ramsey, which I think, um, makes some sense. Um, Mikel Arteta, um, who I know right. who's, who's a favorite of your adjusted plus minus method. Uh, yeah, well, that, that was from a couple seasons ago. I'd love <laughs> to see what it looks like now. <laughs> um, Gerard um, Esteban Granero, which is a, that one was, you know, perhaps more of a surprise to me. Um, and then Scott Parker. So those were some of the most similar players for Yaya Torre. And, you know, on the whole, I think you can see how they're similar in terms of what they accomplish on the field, and they tend to be fairly full field players. So that makes sense. Nonetheless, you can see also perhaps the shortcoming of the method. You know, I don't think you would say stylistically that those players are necessarily similar. You can see how they play on the same areas of the field and get some of the same things done for their respective clubs. However, you know, they are nonetheless of different styles, you know, per se, play at different pace, perhaps are asked to do a little bit different things within their team. Um, you know, on, uh, you know, on, when you look at the least similar players for Yaya Torre, you would see players like Luke Shaw or um, 
John Arnoriza or uh, Ian Hart. And again, I think those make sense as players who are kind of least similar um, to Torre. You know, moving on to if we look at Olivier Giroud, some of the most similar players were Andy Carroll, Anichebe, uh, Jelovic, Fletcher, Long. Um, some of the and some of the least similar players were like Luis Zapata, um, Liam Ridgewell. Again, those, I think, make sense at a high level. When you get down to real specifics, though, um, you know, is Anichebe the same player as Giroud? Certainly not. They they do have some uh, different styles. Um, Anichebe, you know, being, you know, probably the very traditional um, man up front. And while Giroud has some of that, he's probably a little more sweeping as a player. And I I stole that term from... uh, Matt Tomaszewicz, who from Shingardian, who looked over uh, some of my results. Um, so you know, the, those are some you know stylistic differences that perhaps aren't captured. But it, it was reassuring to me um, to not see players like Aguero or Suarez um, as the top comps for Giroud, because um, you know it wasn't just arbitrarily throwing. Um, you know, central forwards in there. There was some still description. Um, discrimination even within position right um so what does that 0.5 or 0.4 number represent is it is it weighted more toward uh toward statistical performance or style of play or actions yeah absolutely so the the um the numbers range the similarity scores range from zero to one with closer to one being more similar. And the number right. represents in, incorporates both um, kind of event uh, frequencies, like how many tackles they had or how many successful tackles they had, how many successful passes they had, but also the location of those events. And the weighting between event frequencies versus event locations is about 50-50. And again, those, weren't, um, those weightings weren't chosen by me, but they were chosen... I, settled on those weights uh, programmatically, basically by looking uh, to maximize a measure of internal consistency. Okay. Um, Right. So I understand that the weights were developed um, automatically or programmatically, but um, should similarity really be 50% statistical performance and 50% style or maybe cheat a little bit more in one direction or the other? To the extent that I had, um, it probably should cheat in one direction or the other. I think that it ended up relatively 50-50 was, um, you know, was a bit of a, a bit of a surprise. I think, you know, with anything, um, like the, the, um, the method that I undertook, you know, if I had scouts input or expert input, that would be extremely valuable to work with, you know, a subject matter expert so they could put, you know, their expert judgment on and stamp it or validate it. Um, you know, I think that would be hugely important. I think for sports analytics in general, I think, you know, to the, 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 um, teams, the individuals who do a good job of incorporating analytics, but also, uh, basically scouts knowledge or what some people might call the, you know, more qualitative judgment into their uh, quantitative approaches. 
those are the ones who will ultimately be most successful because no matter how I play with the weights, I'm not a subject matter expert in soccer. Um, and there are people who are and, uh, you know, to collaborate with them in a way on a method like this, I think that's really where things uh, get interesting and powerful. I know that the results that you presented were limited, or I think you showed about four or five slides, but in all the analysis that you did, did you identify any players that were truly unique, whose, whose skills and performance were so... Um, um, were so um, different from everyone else in the league that there are really very few players who are like them. You do, you absolutely do see some of that. It's, and for instance, um, and you know, a way that you can identify that is if you look at a player, each player's similarity to themselves is naturally one. You can look then for the you know highest, most similar player and for the ones that had relatively low, um, where the highest or the most comparable player had a relatively low similarity score. So say below you know, 0.7, um, that is a case where you know, a player is, is really unique. Um, and in a lower degree, you, know, you can see it even players who are there um, – Whose comp had a similar, whose best comp had a similarity score of around 0.8. And so, you know, who are some of those players? Um, you know, Suarez came up as relatively individual. Um, Hazard um, came up as relatively. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it, it was because I, you know, I don't necessarily think of them as that way. Um, I, 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 I could see I could see Suarez being unique, but not Hazard. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But, you know, those were a couple of players um, who came up as, you know, more on the unique uh, side. How unique was Gareth Bale? Um, that's actually that's actually a great um, example of someone who was uh, fairly unique. Um, it doesn't have perhaps um, great comps for them. For uh, Actually, for instance, in the... Uh, in the presentation for Opta, I wanted to use um, Bale originally as an example of, okay, well, Gareth Bale left last summer. Let's find some good comps who would have been reasonable, you know, replacements on the transfer market. Um, and uh, he wasn't a player who came up with super sharp comps. They weren't um, super low either, but there weren't um, natural ones that I would say for him when I, when I look at the players who are suggested as aha, that makes perfect sense. So for instance, some players who came up for him were uh, Jay Rodriguez and Adam Lalana and um, Ashley Young, who you can see why those players got suggested, but I wouldn't call them great comps for Gareth right. Bale. Right, and I think Tottenham is discovering that this season, or has discovered that this season. Um, I, I do think you know one thing that uh, that you know is interesting with uh, respect to that, or you know, this method is you know I have focused mostly on Premier League and MLS, and that's what I had data for. I think where this really becomes powerful is when you look across five or six leagues, and both historically. That's when this really becomes, uh, you know, much more powerful um, as a method 
um, and both more interesting from a from a fan standpoint. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, because one question, one challenge that football has that baseball doesn't have, that basketball to some extent doesn't have, is that you have to assess similarities across multiple competitions uh, around the world who may be similar in some ways, particularly in the big five leagues. But when you get beyond the big five European leagues, there are some pretty big differences in in playing styles and and things like that. So um, so how do you go about using these similarity scores to compare different competitions? I, I know you and use MLS and Premier League as an example. Yeah. I I don't have a good sense necessarily of how you did it. What I did include both leagues and the similarity scores is one. And what was really fascinating to me and gets to your point is that um, you could find some um, reasonable comps among Premier League players um, for MLS players or vice versa. But what was fascinating was if you looked at, you know, say the top 10 comps for each player, if you took looked at the top 10 comps for a Premier League player, almost invariably those top 10 comps all came from the Premier League. None of them usually came from MLS. And similarly, when you looked at an MLS player and looked at the top 10 comps for an MLS player, invariably none of them were from Premier League. Almost, you know, they were usually entirely from MLS. And so that was fascinating to me in that somehow, even though I didn't make any explicit adjustments for it, that um, the comps really seem to reflect a um, difference in styles of play between the two leagues. Um, I gave a couple of examples in my presentation for if you're going to look for uh, comps, um, for instance, if you're going to look at Darren Gibson and you're going to look at the best MLS comps for Darren Gibson, who would be the highest scoring players And Kyle Beckerman and Sam Cronin came up, which, you know, I think are reasonable comps and they came up with similarity scores of 0.82, which is the higher level. Um, so, you know, those weren't, uh, that was, were interesting. Nonetheless, yeah, I could, uh, I could see that. And that neither of those players were, you know, in the top 10 for Darren Gibson. A more striking example was when I looked at um, the best MLS comps for Leighton Baines. In this case, um, it came up with Chris Tierney and Shea Salinas. Um, you know, a little hard to see, not, you know, not quite as intuitive. And that but, was reflected in the similarity scores. Their similarity scores to Leighton Baines were 0.67, which is that's, pretty low. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically saying there really there's no one like Leighton Baines in Major League Soccer. If you if you just look at this metric. Exactly. Exactly. So that was pretty exciting to see, actually. I, I, I you know, I didn't have a great sense of, uh, you know, what created that ph- phenomenon or what specifically among the location statistics or, you know, just even the frequency statistics um, created that divide or that separation between competitions. And that would certainly be, you know, I think an area of further uh, interest or, you know, to look at, you know, maybe what's, what really is providing the discrimination between competitions. But I, it was I think in the case of Leighton Baines, I think in the case of Leighton Baines, there, you know, there are very few left, back, well, there are no left backs in MLS who are of, of his quality. That, that is, that is absolutely true. I would just, I'd be interested to know, you know, 
where that came across. Was it, you know, in the past locations? Was it, you know, reflected in the, you know, the past distances or just that he was forward so much and such a, you know, offensive contributor as compared to any MLS uh, left backs? So I'd just be curious which statistic, um, you know, really shows that separation. Cause I, I agree with you on a qualitative level. Um, you know, I, I, I just find it really fascinating that you could see such a big gap and such a big, uh, dissimilarity without needing to see off the ball movement of the players. Agreed. Agreed. You, I, you think, well, you, I think everyone knows off the ball movement is key, but even without that, I think, you know, the, the past locations were certainly among the location events that I looked at from the programmatic weighting. Those got the past locations and past distances got heavy, very heavy weightings. Um, so looking at MLS um, a little bit more, were there players in that league that were unique compared to their, uh, to their peers? That is a good question. You know, I don't think I focused as clearly on that for MLS, and they're they're um, struggling a little bit to think of which players, in particular, uh, jumped out at me as particularly unique. But I'll ha- I'll have to go back and look. Um, with the, is there any player you'd like me to look at quickly? I was interested in Landon Donovan. Okay, he comes up. You know, what was interesting was he does come up as a player relatively. Um, high on the scale for is a comp for Premier League players. More so, again, he's not jumping in the top five for anyone, but he comes up as um, he comes up as a player. If you had to guess from similarity score, whose perhaps style mirrors a little bit, um, you know, more some of the the Premier League players. But actually, you know, looking at um, his, you know, when I look at his. Uh, similarity scores right now, just calling them up. Um, he doesn't come up as super unique. Some of his comps that were coming up for the 2000, I think this is the 212, 2012 season. So you have to take yourself in, back in a time machine a little bit, but um, Rivero comes up as a comp, which I, I think makes some sense. Um, uh, Simon Dawkins, Darlington uh, Nagbe. Um, those are players that come up as, um, comps, which, you know, their, their, their scores are in the 0.85 range. So, you know, he's a player who doesn't come across as, uh, you know, unique, at least with respect of, with respect to those players. Okay. So, um, so what are the takeaways that people, um, should have from your work? Um, I think, you know, primarily that, um, you know, locations of events matter. And what that means is that, you know, the data that Opta are providing, um, it, it's, you know, it's useful. We, we, we need to go beyond uh, summary statistics um, in terms of capture it in capturing similarity. And I think this gets back to your post-talk point about really needing to capture player style. Uh, you know, the location of a player's events don't capture style fully, but I think they start to get at that. And that, you know, it highlights the importance of this more granular data. When you incorporate this, I think, you know, something like similarity scores could start to have utility 
for clubs at some point, you know, maybe not in its current version of as I've created it, but it could start to have some utility for clubs. Is it going to be an automated scout or replace scouts? Of course not. But what it might do is, uh, you know, confirm some of their intuition and their observations. And it also might be used, you know, effective as a filtering tool as players or as teams start to scout players across multiple leagues and competitions, it can be hard to distill all that information meaningfully. Something like similarity scores, a more sophisticated or mature version of what I've done, might be a nice beginning filter for teams as they start to identify players or potential transfer targets. I know that Nate Silver had done his first work with Pakoda where he was looking at um where he was looking at player forecasting, player career forecasting. Um, I know we're very early in the game as far as similarity scores in soccer are concerned, but can we finally start to be able to talk about the development of a career forecasting model in, in this sport? I, you know, if you if we looked at the similarity scores historically, I think you could start to look at some interesting. Uh, you know, career trajectories. I think it would be very interesting to see for a player, you know, you, you read a lot about what the shelf life is for attacking players. Um, and it would be very interesting to compare against uh, historical comps. Um, I think similarly, you think about the range of uh, some central midfielders, you know, the all-around players like an Aaron Ramsey or Yaya Torre and again, to have some sense of where kind of the dipping point is and where they, you know, their career shifts um, would be very interesting. So I, if, if you applied these methods to more extended historical data, I, I think you could get some very interesting results. I don't know what they are, um, but I think you could get some, you know, looking at the trajectories of players' careers. That said, you know, I don't think um, the metrics for, soccer, as we talked about earlier in the conversation, are as well-defined as some of the metrics for other sports. What are the meaningful uh, metrics? And um, from that standpoint, you know, for as a um, very robust projection system, I'm not sure we're quite there with uh, similarity scores yet. I'm not, I'm not sure it could provide at that level of, um, you know, useful predictions that something like Pagoda could do. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think you make some excellent points on that. Uh, I think, and, and this is going to get to a broader point that I was about to make, that there's been a lot of progress in analytics and, and football in the last year and a half, uh, especially in the last year. But we're all still very early, and I think there are some there are some higher-level uh, problems. I think career projection is one, and connecting the chain from start of career to end of career. Um, I think we're at a stage right now where we barely have one generation of that kind of data. Yeah. Um, I think maybe maybe in two generations, which would be another six seven years, if you go on average average career length of a player, I think we could start to to examine those questions. Um, but, um, 
I I think that what we would, what I would like to see is a more probabilistic analysis of of player projections, and this is something that Picota did, where um, where Nate was looking at um, a journeyman track, you know, a you know a track of someone who flamed out, you know, all star Hall of Famer, yep. and the probabilities of of all of those. Do we have enough data to do that? No, yeah. um, but I think in a generation or two we would. I think the next question is, um, what kind of analysis do you do to develop those kind of probabilistic projections? And the challenge in football is that there's just so many different uh, parameters that you know we're going to have to have a conversation on uh, which parameters and metrics uh, would be the best ones to incorporate in such a model. Um, and I really look forward to having that kind of conversation. Ab- absolutely. I, you, you make some great points and you're absolutely right that, you know, we, we need, need more data. Yeah. So, um, and it just gets to a point, we're all really early in this stage. We've made a lot of progress. I think that was a really great thing about being in London for the analytics forum, just seeing the prog- seeing the progress that's been made in this field. But everyone is early, yep. um, which which makes it which makes it exciting, um, and which also makes it research because I don't know what the results are going to be, and that's that's really really fascinating to me in this um, in this field. No, I agree. I agree, and I, I thought the London event was a you know fantastic event put on by put on by Opta. I saw some of your notes from uh, Sloan Sports and not to take us off topic, but I was, you know, curious how you would contrast uh the two events and I'm I'm sure your listeners would be curious as well. Um I'm gonna talk about it on a different podcast. Okay. But my my feeling right now on Sloan is that it's less of a sports analytics conference and it's a sports business conference. Yep. Um the analytics forum is what Nessus is now and probably what Sloan was at the very beginning. Um, even well, but even at the very beginning, it was more of a sports business conference than a hardcore analytics conference. Um, although analytics was a big part of it, but there was always the sports business side with, with Sloan. Yep. Um, which makes sense being a business school. Um, I think the analytics forum at Opta is now, what Nessus is, except that it's focused on one sport. Um, that said, with with Sloan, even though you have people talking generalities because they don't want to um, tip off their their competitors in the audience, you can still read between the lines and figure out what people are saying, what people are focused on in particular sports. Interesting, and that's that's the reason why I like going there because it gives an opportunity to listen to what people in baseball and basketball and a number of other sports are thinking about. Um, and to that respect, it was kind of disappointing, not kind of, it was very disappointing to not have that kind of discussion in soccer. And yeah. you know, was it because the wrong people were on stage? Was it that the, right, the wrong questions were being asked? Um, I don't know, but I think, I think with that forum, um, you know, I, I think with that forum, you don't go to it for 
uh, for the soccer content. Although there's there's some good content, particularly in the papers. I think we'll talk a little bit in a future podcast about one of the papers that was presented there. Um, but I think if you're a soccer person going to that conference, um, if you go there expecting to see to see and hear some insight on soccer, I think you're going to be disappointed. If you go there to see what other people are doing and try to determine parallels with other sports, um, it's a little bit more useful. And, um, you know, in that respect, I, I like it. But, but yes, um, we will talk about this in depth in a future Soccer Metrics podcast. Sounds good. Um, I look forward to it. Right. So we're also at the end of our time together. So where can people follow you online? Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Jonathan, so J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N underscore Gruel, G-R-U-H-L. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I tend not to post a lot. Uh, the Opta Forum was a great uh, opportunity to get some of my work out there. And, you know, I look forward to uh, doing so uh, more in the future. I'm, I'm hoping, hoping to post my talk uh at uh, some point online uh, through through Opta, and uh, hopefully to have some uh, more future research uh, posted, uh, perhaps uh, at Soccer Metrics or uh, another affiliated site. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, we'll we'll have to talk about that <laughs> at some point, <laughs> but um, but I I really look forward to seeing the kind of research or to seeing more of your research. Uh, on other forums, whether it's Soccer Metrics or other places. Um, so that would be great. Well, that's going to do it for our time here. And my guest for this episode of the Soccer Metrics podcast has been Jonathan Gruel. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Howard. It's a great, uh, great opportunity. And uh, again, big fan. Thank you very much. And this is Howard Hamilton of Soccer Metrics Research. Thank you for listening to the Soccer Metrics podcast. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Soccer Metrics Podcast. The Soccer Metrics Podcast is available for free from iTunes, so you can listen to it again and again. To find the notes for this edition and learn more about our research, services, and other resources, visit the site at SoccerMetrics.net. You can also find us on Twitter, at SoccerMetrics. So until next time, this has been another edition of the Soccer Metrics Podcast.